fine Blowing up like dynamite, I never meant to make you cry Hello and welcome to your newly weekly edition of the Cybrox. It's your Rangers podcast. My name is Scott Patterson. You're very welcome and I'm pleased to say that as always. We are joined by Tommy McIntyre this week. Hi Tommy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Caught me, for those uh, those people not watching on the YouTube, caught me halfway down a, a drink of juice there as you started that intro, but I am well, thank you. It just shows we're a well-oiled machine. There's no, there's no, we, we don't have to rehearse this bit that often. That's, that's quite true. It's all my fault there for trying to um, lubricate my, my thought. And we're joined again. Uh, Robbie Halliday joins us. Hi, Robbie. How are you? Magnificent, mate. Magnificent. <laughs> a grand weekend, I think it's, it's safe to say for Rangers fans. Yeah, it was a very good one, mate. Memorable. So I'm sure we'll touch on, on why I feel that way. We will indeed. This week's podcast is brought to you by Treble H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. You can reach them as early as you can on 01453 or via their email, hello at hhhmortgages.com. Their website is treblehmortgages.com and you can reach them with the same address via Facebook. If you are to contact them, be sure to mention my name, Tommy or Robbie. Indeed, Willie Boyd as well, and these guys at Triple H Mortgages will look after you very well indeed. As an aside, keep an eye on our social media channels over the next couple of weeks for the special champion stop that we're going to give away with these guys at Triple H Mortgages, so we look forward to that. On this week's podcast, we speak about the doubleheader coming up with St Johnston this week, league on Wednesday, quarterfinal of the Cup Sunday. We'll talk about how we reached that quarterfinal after cuffing that lot again yesterday. But first of all, I think it's really important that as a football podcast, we really have to cover something that is in real danger of derailing our game full stop. Tommy, I'm going to come to you on this in the first instance because I know your opinion on it is quite strong and probably quite lengthy. However, I'm encouraging you to go for it. Um, the Super League breakaway, speak to us about it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, take, the, I'll take that lengthy comment and the spirit that it is meant. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I should say before I get into that, uh, Robbie, I'm giving that particular sponsor intro about a 7, 7.5 this week. I'm not entirely sure he was invested in that. I, I was going to say, right, no, we're not getting into anything else. I want to go back to that intro. How you consistently produce that every week, <laughs> one take, I'll never know. Ah, that keeps me up at night, how you're able to do that. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, a, horrible, a horrible picture that Robbie has just painted for the nation there. We won't keep them up at night. But uh, so swiftly, I think I should do the hosting here and swiftly move it on. Get on with it. Get on with it. So I think to, to, to move away that and to get us back to a more serious footing in terms of the, the European Super League, the ESL pro- proposals that came out from the founding clubs um, the, the other night. So there's lots of information still being stepped on, still being uh, taken through. And there was a lack of serious information actually within the proposal to a large extent. There was, you know, as soon as practicable um, for both the men's and the throwaway line for the women's game that they seem to uh, have a bright idea of tacking on the end. Ultimately, uh, and I won't take us all the way down in the depth and detail, I'm sure the listeners and the watchers will know some background to this. What you're looking at is a selection of big clubs in Europe and some clubs who are not entirely sure how they get an invite to the party, to be honest with you. They, they, they must have known somebody, and that's a plus one. Tottenham, I'm looking at you. Um, uh, Arsenal as well. It's one of those ones where you need to take your mate along to something, but you're not entirely sure that he's going to fit in. So I think that's what my name is, etc. But they want to break away and uh, fill the midweek slot that's generally Champions League, etc. with this European Super League. And remembering they want to stay part of their domestic calendar competition as well. So if you're a Tottenham Arsenal, uh, a Manchester United, a Liverpool, uh, Real Madrid, and Inter Milan, a Juventus, then you would still be half housing back to your normal league as well. The, the major change, without going into everything, the 3.5 billion that would be shared about it, the increased revenues that are being backed up by JP Morgan, the US investment bank, who are bankrolling the initial uh, league structure before it comes online and gets bigger TV deals, is the fact that they've taken away for these founding clubs they would like to take away the threat of relegation. So they can never be relegated from that league, no matter how they perform. <laughs> Arsenal, Tottenham, I'm looking at you again. Um, but th- that's essentially what it is. It's a closed, uh, I was going to say closed shop, How actually in terms of what it means to maybe regular football, I'll call it a closed casket. So it's a closed casket of a league. And what would happen is five teams would essentially, via playoffs and previous year standings, etc., go into that league on an annual basis. So those five are the fluid ones. Nobody really cares about them. 
but as long as the revenues of the, the 15 member clubs, founding clubs, I should say, are protected, that's the important thing. Several other clubs were asked, you know, Bayern, PSG, Porto, all asked, all refused. And so this has kicked off an almighty storm between league associations, national associations, FIFA and UEFA. I think Alexander Seferin, um, his statement today talking about snakes and uh, not realising how disingenuous people could be is pretty forceful. Ultimately, what's now looking like happening is there's a threat of banning players, banning clubs, uh, threatening them with point deductions, etc. What will happen, however, is this will enhance the changes that are being proposed, have been proposed and have been accepted by UEFA in terms of the Champions League. So when people are saying that these clubs are only looking at the bottom dollar, you're absolutely right, that's all they are looking at, or bottom euro, I should say, right, because it's 3.5 billion euros, if I remember correctly. But within the Champions League structure, there's already a lot of changes there. People forget 30% of, I think, from next year's Champions League revenues are guaranteed to clubs based on the previous year's um, uh, standings, yeah, performance, yeah. Yeah, performance yeah. and standings, yes, yeah, either word there. So these clubs have been pushing and pushing and pushing, and I fully understand that they are the bigger draw for a lot of people. And they would have probably got away to some extent, and I use go away in italics, right? But they probably would have got away with some of the vitriol that's been thrown at them or the negativity from fans, etc., because they could have traded on the glamour and they would have got away with it if they hadn't put in the no relegation clause. But this whole thing is to give them the legitimacy and concrete assurance of their revenues. These are businesses, they're not clubs. And that takes us back to some of the other things that are coming out, such as they refer to, let's say, long-standing fans as legacy fans, right? Like there's something wrong with them, like a back book that has to be managed and run off. Um, anybody who works in financial services will absolutely get that terminology that I've just, <laughs> just used there. And I can understand, and well, I hate those terms, but I can also understand that because if you're looking at these these leagues, you know, La Liga, Serie A, the, the Premiership down south, remembering this, they're not like Rangers, they're not like Scotland. The revenue from their fans accounts for a very, very small percentage of their income because it's TV and advertising and sponsorships. That's why they're reaching out for this European Super League because that's where they get their money. They really couldn't give a monkeys by and large for fans because fans do not have the impact on the balance sheet. You play that into a Bayern or a Dortmund who've got larger fan investment, then you get a slightly different model. Barca are probably doing it because they are very close to, allegedly very close to bankruptcy, I should say. I'm glad I chucked in that allegedly uh, there. Trust me, if any Barcelona lawyers are watching, I'm not the guy to chase down for, uh, for a fee. But to, to wrap all that up, because this will continue on into the Euros and it will continue on into the summer, and there'll be lots of infighting round about it. Yeah. And it won't be as one-sided as people think, because lots of other smaller clubs will look at themselves and say, well, if these bigger clubs can do that, and they can guarantee us as a smaller club getting £100 million every year or every other year, they're willing to bite the bullet, right? Because the power of a lot of clubs within the pyramid has also been eroded to a large degree throughout Europe anyway. Two, two final points to that. And I'll happily ask you, you know, answer any questions because I have been relatively close to some of that story. But one would be it is fairly interesting and laughable to see uh, Sky Sports painting itself as the white knight of the average guy and woman down the pub wanting to watch their local team. This is the same Sky Sports who, you know, derailed lots of other TV companies and who completely restructured the game to suit their financial model and pumped all this money in. Not saying this is naturally a bad thing. It's just the hypocrisy is quite quite interesting yeah. um, and that's not the individuals there it's just the corporate face of it and um, they don't maybe like the fact that somebody's got a bigger checkbook now uh, to, to that and then the the final point to that would be it would be interesting if you then overplayed the strategy behind this because if you look at declining revenues across let's say Europe so that legacy fan things actually means a bigger thing I sense I suspect from a strategic perspective than what people maybe naturally passionately get to. How dare you refer to me as a legacy fan? My family's been supporting Rangers since Generation X, right? Yeah. So to speak. So I don't like that. But actually from a strategic perspective, I've touched on the fact that the we can't talk about it in Rangers terms because we're not in those richer leagues, right? But 
you don't have any real power because you don't have a natural large revenue stream that pumps into the club because it comes from other places. If I was a strategist sitting in one of these clubs or sitting at JP Morgan, I would say, well, in Europe, if that's the kind of uh, the macroeconomic situation that the majority of money into these clubs is pumped in via TV revenue, sponsorships, top tier sponsorships, etc. Right, and the way to draw that into a better place is to get all these clubs playing glamour ties. That's essentially it. It's a fancy friendly league, right? Somebody win it, nobody gets kicked out. Right? Then I want to move us to that position. And I really want to forget about what is a relatively dwindling market TV-wise, which is the UK and the rest of Europe by extension. Because these companies, these chairmen, these clubs are looking at the next phase of their strategy, which is where is better money out there and better sponsorship? America's subcontinent, India, Pakistan, mainland China. So they really don't care about what, you know, we're saying legacy fans, they don't care about legacy countries. Oh, right, you happen to be a big Spanish, you, you happen to be the only club in Catalonia. Couldn't really give a monkeys, to be honest with you, because I can access the mainland China market, which dwarfs you sometime over, dwarfs all of La Liga. Yeah. So that's the strategy. And these are the names of the badges of the clubs that people in these other countries work towards. That's what brings them in a Manchester United somewhere in Africa, an Arsenal, or, you know, Real Madrid. That's the draw. So it's an economic draw. That's the story here. So when you get wrapped up, or if anybody gets wrapped up in the legacy thing, it's better to think about it that it's legacy proposition for the entire club and the country that that club sits in. Because what's slowly happened here is the badge and the name of the club has been completely divorced from the club. As a fan in lots of these leagues, you really don't matter. You know, you really don't. And so until such time as you can either take a stand or you can come up with a cheque as big as the one that the TV monies can and the investment bankers can, you, you might have to live with some of this proposition coming down the track. It's a disappointing place and it's despicable. Robbie, one of the things that, that sort of fascinated me yesterday, and I, I don't want to sort of go on too much about this because I said earlier on, we've got a cuffing to speak about. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Neville had a, a real rant on the TV yesterday, and I, I felt it was fascinating. I agree with Thomas to a certain extent. There's elements of irony that it comes on Sky. The the guys who, during the pandemic, were asking you to pay £15 to watch Burnley v West Brom at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, however, I, I did feel his rant was 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 quite telling. He's, he's, a, he's a household name, and he, he was very aware that what he was saying was getting piped into every um, living room in the country yesterday afternoon. Uh, well, I see that Tommy took your optionality answer anyway, so... <laughs> it's, called robust, it's called a robust answer. <laughs> Listen, I don't know how I'm going to come on the back. Uh, Tommy's unbelievably made point on that in your intro, so... You know, set a high bar right away. Uh, uh, I thought Gary Neville's uh, rant or speech where we got on it was, was superb because I totally agree with what you're saying. The fact that a couple of months ago, Sky Bertatti charged pay-per-view games for Premier League during the pandemic and how they were offering this as a sort of care package to help people out was a disgrace because you're already paying their subscription. Yeah. However, I mean, the only thing I can put in their favour is they're still, they're still enhancing the experience of football and the sport, whereas this new thing is just a total disgrace. Like, there's yeah. nothing about that that's enhancing the sport, enhancing entertainment. So, as you see, I thought Gary Neville spoke really, really well on it and my worry, as Tommy says, is because when it first came out, I was like, well, just no one should watch it. Just don't watch it. Just don't buy tickets for it. But as Tommy says, they will, they, their market is towards probably Saudi Arabia, UAE, China, and they will all buy it. They will all buy it. So it's very difficult. And it's one that I hope it's squashed really quickly, but I don't see that, that happening. Also, the cynic in me is a bit suspicious of the fact that this came out on the same day that UEFA approved the new Champions League format in three years' time, which essentially still favours the bigger clubs, the elite clubs, because yeah. I'm pretty sure I didn't read totally into it, but I know that one of the stipulations is, for example, Liverpool could finish seventh this year, but could still qualify for the Champions League based on previous performances. I think that's just ridiculous. Again, it, takes, it takes out the integrity of the sport, it takes out entertainment. I already think that the Champions League is too top-heavy as it is. We've already got 
qualifications. Then we brought in a seeded qualification to make it even harder again. Then we've obviously got our rankings with the group systems, which I suppose you could argue kind of makes sense because if you look at other sports, that happens as well. So we've already got systems in place that favour the elite teams anyway, that, that kind of brings in the draw fixtures, which look, totally makes sense because at the end of the day, I would rather watch Barcelona Real Madrid in a quarterfinal than a smaller club. Yeah. But we've already got that in place, but we're just now getting to a, a point where we're just stretching it too far apart and it's totally taken away the sort of the spontaneity of the sport, I don't really know how best to put it, but it's making it a lot more spectacle, which is all I care about. And I think that's the case where a lot of things being brought into football, in my opinion, VAR is an example. Uh, but obviously, as you say, don't want to go too much into it because it'll no doubt rumble through summer, but that's kind of my early fe- feelings on it anyway. Just not, not happy with it at all. But I'm glad to see that a lot of high-profile people are uh, condemning it early on. It would be fantastic, in my opinion, for them just to scrap the lot and put all the balls in a big jug every year and just pick them out one by one. You play them home, you play them away. European Cup, 1992 style. Let's mm-hmm. go back to that, in my eyes. Well, um, me, like, for me, the now I think the fact that no matter what, four Premier League clubs are in the group stages, isn't it right? And that's that. nonsense, yep. So I think there's, a, there's definitely a middle ground to be found it's back the way, but they're actually making they're going the opposite direction for where I think it should go personally. So disappointing. Well, the, big, the big thing is, I mean, all of this is geared same with the uh, Europa League revamp that happened, mm-hmm. um, and the Champions League. You know, <laughs> never seen a worse um, or a a more uh, untrue branding than Champions League. Um, you know, you could finish fourth or fifth in a league, as you say, and, and still turn up and win the Champions League. Okay, right, I'm not entirely sure how that works, but, <laughs> but that was the whole point of that. And the whole predication, much like the ESL, is to guarantee income for these top teams, or they see themselves as the top teams. I'm not entirely sure how you could pick an Arsenal or a, a Man United in the last 10 years, or indeed a, a, a Tottenham Hotspur as, a, as an elite top team, Correct. You know, given what they've got there. Um, but, but that's the whole point, because they want the, the balance sheet to be consistent, much like any business. They don't like, like peaks and troughs. They like consistency. This is what we're working to all the time. So if you can guarantee that $350 million a season or whatever coming in from certain places, that's all they care about. And that's what UEFA's you know, trying to fight as well. And like you say, UEFA's got one hand in the pocket of these people as well, and vice versa. Um, but it is all about trying to stabilise that. But the, And to the detriment of everybody else in the don't like the phrase the football pyramid right but to, to everybody's you know um uh, discounting they have to be able to plug the gaps of their own balance sheets yeah. now that just strips away any level of competition and we, we've seen this you know we've been scotland rangers fans obviously right and there was a time when we just could pay big money and scottish clubs could pay big money and then tv came along and totally blew that out of the water and then anything that we've been doing has been against the tide, not with it. And this is just a furthering of how far that tide goes out. Yeah. Because you'd then be saying, well, these clubs that you might play once in a blue moon are you know, chock full of superstars. And then there's two levels of the superstar. There's a superstar they use for the ESL, and then there's the superstar they'll use when they go back to the Liga or the Premiership or whatever, and they just become cold teams. So it's, I mean, it's, it's borderline disgraceful in terms of what t- language you want to use about it. It is absolutely fundamental to our game that it does get crushed as soon as possible. I am with Robbie. The timing is very interesting in terms of, you know, and that coupled with a lack of details around about the proposal makes me think that it, it's either one of two things. It was about to leak in more detail and they had to push the button, or two, it was just a stalking horse. Then again, if it was just a stalking horse, why name the clubs? Because you're taking a barrage of abuse from, from a lot there. Yeah. Not that they give a monkeys about it. But the, the last thing about that as well, because I know we've got a packed agenda, is I don't know what the behavioural economics are, right? Or just the, the, the psychology behind it. But your team versus Real Madrid or Real Madrid versus Barcelona or Inter versus AC or whatever, right? At some point, familiarity breeds contempt. How exciting do those games become when they are? Every week or so, yeah. you know, it's laws of diminishing return. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think that's the whole point of the Champions League you fight your domestic people all the time, and then by ending up on top, 
and you get a chance to go and play these other champions to see who comes well in the case of Scotland recently our champions haven't managed to get into any sort of champions group stages but you can only go what you've got but you know that's the whole glamour of it you strip that away it's just a sanitised do you know what it's, it's just FIFA but live and I've got no time for either of those things it'll be very interesting I think to see where the the club go on this of course last week we announced that um, Arsenal are coming to town as part of our 150th year anniversary celebrations um next next July, I think this July, sorry. Um so it'll be interesting to see where the narrative takes us on that. Listen, we are the podcast of the champions. We'll never tire of saying that. And we're now also the podcast of the team that have really looked after Celtic properly this year and we, we beat them at the weekend, Tommy, to get into the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup. Really convincing the victory and we now go unbeaten in five in our last five games against Celtic. It's an impressive record. Yeah, and at some point, uh, I, I think we can challenge for the didn't they play well, but won nothing cup. <laughs> uh, I don't know when the final of that quite is. But listen, I think if you if you manage to go five games unbeaten against the best team in the league, you, um, you've done yourself a really proud moment. I, th- I think they, they, we can speak about the game. I know you guys will have your own particular views on that. I thought Celtic actually didn't play that badly. I thought it was a really good game. Actually, the best recent Old Firm game. In yeah. terms of football that was played and chances created. But both teams went at it. Um, Celtic had a spell dominance as well. Absolutely can't shy away from the fact that they created a lot of good chances. Obviously, had a penalty as, uh, as well. Soft penalty, but had a penalty. But they created a hell of a lot of good chances. Ultimately, though, and would you believe it, we come back to what everybody's been talking about, Rangers, by and large, all season, which is mentality. Rangers were really assured, even in those moments where we were getting chances against us, you felt that there was a confidence of, okay, we'll weather this storm and then we're getting the two relatively early goals in the first half, kind of put a cap on it. Yeah. Um, and then Celtic, by and large, huffed and puffed, but they very much looked like the team at the end of an era. Uh, and I, I just want to be very careful when I say that because not a team that wanted to end their era, a team that had their era ended for them. <laughs> and there's a, there's a significant difference in there. And that's the, I've been saying this on this podcast and a couple of other podcasts that I've been uh, on as well, that's the narrative that really sticks for me. They did put in some money, right? They didn't shy away from the checkbook. And they had a team that had won consistently all the trophies in this country, right? Chock full of big earners. They went for the team. Don't let anybody else say that they didn't or they discounted it or they devalued it or they diluted it. Rangers, the team, the board, the management group, turned up and took this away from them. And that makes me happy every time I see it. And then just to, yeah, just to dazzle them a little bit further, we showed them how to play ruthless football and took away their last chance at a trophy. So, do you know what? It's 19th of April. Pack your bags, pop off to Dubai for a couple of weeks, right? And just let the season, just let the season fold itself out because you really get nothing to play for. Well, they've got one thing to play for. Can they stop the juggernaut that is Rangers in their invincible uh, run? That's the only thing they have left. That, that's it. That, that's it. That and a new chairman and <laughs> maybe taking bets on it is Jose Mourinho going to try and join them. Ahead of the <laughs> season, which is, uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll stop there. I'll stop there. Robbie, we spoke at, at length a little bit last week about the, the team selection and we, I think we largely expected Arfield to probably start in, in the middle. Um, alongside Davis and Kamara. The debate really was around whether Rebo would start because he hasn't really had a great time of it in, in these old firm games. Um, I felt he really arrived at the weekend in, in the game against Celtic. I thought it was excellent from start to finish. Gave Alicia Keys a torrid time at left back. 100% his best performance in an old firm tie, without a doubt. Uh, and I think as well, just my personal opinion, I think it proved again why he's a front three player because where he created the, the big moment for the two goals is where he's at his best. The assist for the John Joe Kenny uh, own goal was superb. I think uh, we probably spoke about the commentary. See, when he goes to cut it back and then takes that wee extra touch and it's yeah. kind of higher and then just takes a wee opening for him to put in. It was superb. And we're like, he's just bloody killed back. So I was thinking, put to half time. He was horrendous. <laughs> uh, not that too, too much about them, but their two fullbacks were so bad. Yeah. Uh, but no, I agree with Tommy. See, to be fair, I'll, 
I mean, I think Storm, Tommy lost a couple of staunch points for saying that Celtic played all right, by the way. <laughs> I don't believe in staunch points. So there you go. I have I, I no staunch points in the bank whatsoever. I will call it how I see it on any given day. Don't agree. So that's just what I was going to say. I agree it was actually a really good game. The first half especially was really competitive uh, because the previous ones this season have been tish, to say the yeah. least. No yeah. good tackle put in. Very few chances. Obviously, the game at Parkhead, they never had a shot on target. The one at Ibrox, we never had a shot on target. So this one was plentiful of chances, but you talk about the mentality for us this season. It's as well, the biggest thing is we've won the big moments in these games. So in other games, like you think back to the Parkhead, I think we controlled the balance of the game and obviously took the chances we had never gave them any. One at Ibrox, uh, the 1-0 game, I'd say that they... I had this kind of a bit uneasy, but again, we produced a bigger moment by uh, being able to get beat on sent off and then scoring a the goal. But in this one here, I actually thought both teams played well. I thought both teams set up well. I thought both teams created chances, but we won the big moments. Gerald spoke about it, that we won both boxes and big games. That's what you need because normally, again, I spoke about it last week where it's almost like a surprise when a team creates a chance against us now or does something quite well against us now. See if you're playing against decent teams, you should expect that. So, in an old firm tie, you should expect it to be competitive. So, you know, they conceded, they created some chances. Cool, what's going to happen? Sometimes your defenders get turned or whatever else. I didn't mean they had a bad game. It was two good teams, I felt, playing against each other. But we won in both boxes and we won at big moments. And that's something that you can't, you certainly wouldn't have associated with us in the last two or three years. So, for us to have done it in so many occasions this season, I mean, that's... There's my magnificent mood. That's why I'm in a magnificent mood. <laughs> that was a robust answer there as well, Robbie. Just, just <laughs> one thing you put to that, because I was thinking this during the game as well, and I know we'd spoken, all three of us had spoken about this on the podcast the other week, but in the last Old Firm game, the Edouard-Elgenussi combination had worked mm. you know, reasonably well and the game was a bit of trouble. Absolutely, our back four, but in particular, Connor Goldson and Philip Pellander, absolutely took them out of the game. Mm-hmm. Edward was dropping deeper and deeper because he couldn't go on the ball. Elianusi just absolutely disappeared. And I think at one point he was sitting in the stand, uh, you know, just Checking taking his notes. phone. I take notes for fan media, I, I think, <laughs> at one point. Uh, I don't know who's fan media, to be honest with you, but somebody absolutely broke that. We absolutely broke that. And so um, I, I'm, I'm with Robbie. I don't particularly like talking too much about Celtic. And I always leave with Rangers. So Rangers defended so well and so completely that it absolutely shattered that attacking threat for long periods. Yes, they made chances, but for long, I think the only point that in the early stages was a through ball uh, at one point that uh, Celtic had. But by and large, you know, Rangers' defensive unit was absolutely fantastic. In the midfield, and we spoke about this, you're talking about Haribo's front three and all that, but the amount of work the midfield and the forward players got through as well can't be overestimated or overstated really throttled the life out of our opponents and then showed that we had actually a better team anyway on the ball and more ruthless. Really, really complete display against a team who were, and that's the reason I'd said it, who weren't playing badly. Mm-hmm. So that was them, I think, they realised it was their final chance and they were really up for it and really going for it. Yeah. You know, and the manager trying to get the job and stuff with like this. Everything was there for them to put in a really heartfelt performance and they did. They still weren't good enough. And we probably know as well that we've maybe just got that wee extra higher gear that we never quite hit at the weekend because I sense that this Rangers team's got more. But that was them at their very, very best coming to us. We still saw them off the premises. That's a statement win. Tommy, there's something um, really special about Ryan Kent when when he's playing in top gear. Um, And we saw, I thought the first half he was excellent. Yesterday, I really did. I thought it was really good. Um, and for his involvement to to release Aribo for the first goal, um, sending Scott Brown one way and then coming back the other, which has, has become a bit of a signature move from him, by all accounts, it, it really was a, a sign of things to come and a sign of, of what we've seen in these Rangers Celtic ties this week, this season rather, as, as far as Kent's been confirmed. He's been, he's been really good against them this year. He has, yeah, he's, he's been really good. And we spoke again last week about end product. You know, you can have all the fancy tricks and all that kind of good stuff, but you need to eventually utilise it. 
And Kent was just fantastic. I thought it was absolutely great game. He did all those things that we like, taking it in tight spaces, stretching the play, taking players on, being direct, making teams think about him and creating yeah. space by being on the ball and being off the ball, uh, which was amazing. And, you know, again, Scott Brown's not a 17, 18-year-old boy making his debut, right? Or, God forbid, a 19-year-old, you know, boy making his old firm debut who's caught in the headlights. I'm not entirely sure we have any of them either. But, <laughs> but you know, he's a serious... He has a serious, experienced campaigner. Scott Brown, just get completely done. Just completely done. Body shape's all wrong. Kent knows exactly what he's going to do and what Scott Brown's going to do. He just absolutely clips it and he's, he's gone. And that's probably the pleasing thing. It wasn't just a, oh, I'll look, I've, I've got around the other side. He's straight on. And then it obviously leads to the goal. But yeah, it was, I mean, there was lots of competitors and I'm sure we'll touch on, on them at some point. I sense that I'm going to get a bit of a barricade off both of you at, at some point as well. But the keepers, but uh, yeah, and yeah I, can, I can see it coming over the hill. But lots of... Generally, in that type of game, Kent would be up there for, for man of the match. Actually, even as good as he was, he probably isn't. And that's no comment on him. He was outstanding. It was just yeah. other people who played equally well. But having that level of attacking threat and that dynamism, and that direct play, uh, is, is absolutely key to Rangers. And I just hope that we're in a position to knock back some of the offers that I fully expect coming from in the summer. Robbie, I don't want to do to death the the Stephen Davis debate. Um, but I think if we had said last week that he would have scored the opener inside 10 minutes and it would have been a seize, uh, an overhead kick, scissor kick, um, I think someone would have come in and wheeled me off air. <laughs> if I had heard that Stephen Davis had done an OB kick, I'd expect him to get wheeled off the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> but Jen, I thought I thought it was immense yesterday. I think, again, he's one for me where in the big moments... Is superb in terms of no again it's spectacular, but seeing that second half, see that amount of times he just seemed to pop up in the right place on so many occasions. And you think like I don't want a kid on him, some sort of fucking mastermind tactician, right? But see the way they <laughs> played, they had like people say they were playing a diamond, but on the ball they were more like a box. So when that was the case, we got about there our right centre mids and left centre mids going into a fullback. So I think we tweaked it the second half, which again, we spoke about the last couple of weeks. We've got trust in our management that even though they caused us problems the last couple of fun games, I fully expected us to rectify it in some way, and I think we did. So, the first half, their fullback, their fullback gets the ball, our right centre mid would go to it, and then their four sort of box would stay in the middle. So, it was basically like a 4 v 2 at times, I felt, in the middle of the pitch. If you include the two strikers, they had that six. So like a six v four, and obviously your centre half, and they want to go too far out. Yeah, see yeah. the guys at Stephen Davis, you hardly even notice it. So I think you could see there was a wee bit of an overload, but not to the extent that there was, just because his intelligence, his fitness, his anticipation is that good. And it was the same even in the second half. There was times like, well, uh, what was it, eighty-five minutes or so, where he, he laid that one on for a rebound that he cut back. Yeah, I think it was that 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 late in the game anyway. So that's a guy thirty-six year old who's ran the game for 85 minutes, we're 2 now up and he still decides to beat three guys in square one for an open net, which I don't know how, what anybody was doing by the way, I thought he should have scored it, but <laughs> the means, I, I set high standards, I wanted three, but the point remains that it's just crazy to think that when he had signed for his first time round, that first cut of months, you were wondering if he was ever going to be the sort of same player that we kind of hoped he was going to be. But for how he's played this season, I mean, I've been saying that I think Conor Goldson's player of the year. I, I still probably do stand by that, but I couldn't argue for it being Davis because he's been that good and in the big games as well. He's been absolutely excellent. And I was thinking about it, kind of watching the game after the game, sort of reflecting on just kind of how big a win it was. And over the last 20 years, here's one for you, right? Me statement. Over the last 20 years, obviously for seven, eight years of that, we were shite, right? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Is, that a, is, that, is that a tactical, technical term? <laughs> <laughs> for, for six, seven years, we weren't very good. But in the last 20 years, he's got to be in our top five best in the last 20 years. I don't think you could name five better players for Rangers. So guys who tell me Arteta, Van Bronckhorst and stuff, maybe Van Bronckhorst a bit different, but there's probably been better players who've had better careers but for what they've done for Rangers, I don't think you can name five better players. 
Oh, that's a great question, isn't it? I'm not expecting you to name them, but you can think about it tonight, whatever. In general, I don't think you could, because even for me, right, growing up, Barry Ferris is my hero, so I'll always kind of be biased toward him, but I even think he's creeping up on him now for longevity, because Barry Ferguson was as good as that at 36. I think in his peak, Barry Ferguson was better. Yep. But Davis has just kept a level of consistency. He's played right mid, he's played box to box, he's played attack mid, and now he's the sort of sort of deep line quarterback, whatever you want to call it. And he's done everyone brilliant. Yeah, Tommy, you're, so stroking your, your... you're stroking your chin there like an evil menace. Speak yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, I... I am, I am the the little version of of, uh, of the bad guy, I suppose. <laughs> but I was I was talking definitively harder there when uh, when Robbie said quarterback because no, we're not calling it that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, um, wrong, wrong sport, wrong sport. But uh, no, I listen. I I get that, and I get all the arguments for all the players. Right, they're all playing particularly well. And I've said before, I've got my personal favourites as well. I think player of the year is still Connor Goldson for a whole raft of reasons. But how good is it to be having the argument about all these different players? Wow. And they're all legitimate. If, if we had a vote and it wasn't, it was Tav or it was Davis or, you know, McGregor, nobody's going to get any an argument about it. You know what I mean? That's a good place to be. It's a really good question from Robbie. I'll, I'll need to spend some time thinking about that. Actually, I don't have a natural, <laughs> natural answer. I do agree, though, right off the bat, that the Arteta thing and all that, you need to frame the question, isn't it? Is it one-off performances or one season? Or is it the longevity thing? I'm with you. It needs to be longevity, yeah. um, which is why the goalkeeper thing might come back up again. But, um, <laughs> but so Arteta wouldn't be in the wouldn't be in the ranking for me whatsoever. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really that's a really interesting one. I, I do I do like that type of type of question. I'm almost um, made Tommy yeah. speechless. Yeah, it's almost speechless. I. It's it's almost. I'm I'm just thinking through some of the, the permutations. The last part being. One of the things I would counter to people like Stephen Davis know that right now, and I would challenge anybody who starts to bandy about these people are complete legends and, uh, well, not legends, because they are the 155, of course, the legends, right? But when you start doing that comparison like for like, this team had been stellar in Europe. Mm -hmm. It was a time when Europe meant something different to us. Yeah. It meant Champions League Europe. And not Something that backs up his argument again. He was in the UEFA Cup final team. And I know, again, it's UEFA Cup, but he's won three league titles now, maybe four. I don't know. Three or four? Yep. Probably won three, four cups. I think he won player of the year in the league uh, in 2000. And I'm not going to guess, but I'm pretty sure he won the league. So he's won the league this time round. He's been in the UEFA Cup final. He's been part of huge European performances this time round. Obviously, he was part of good Champions League performances as well. He scored in three old firms. He scored in a Cup final. Yeah. And a he scored European goals, I think. Was it Werder Bremen at home? Yes, Werder Bremen. I'm sure he scored some deals as well. The, man, the man's done it all. He scored against Paul, obviously, in the UEL. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm I not something with... very controversial there. Oh, no, no, two seconds. I was going to say I'm not disagreeing with Stephen Davis at all, actually, right? So it's not a, you know a absolutely just him thing. I'm just thinking when you start to do that comparison against other people, yeah. Um, in the last twenty years, you're talking about different strata of Rangers teams. That's why somebody like a Van Bronckhorst would definitely be in that conversation for me. Mm-hmm. But then you say you know guys like Two Guy, you know that kind of stuff as well. Anyway, I'll pass it over to. Um, the bold Scott who had something in his mind. Well, see, what I was going to say was, I think even if it's look what you've started, Halliday, for goodness sake. Um, good if if you were to add, I'm if you were to add maybe five years on to that twenty-year period, I just wonder where he compares with Gascoigne. I just want to point out that's the timing equivalent of saying "try it with your right foot." That's exactly <laughs> what I was like. that. Aye, so we have twenty-year period. Right, well, let's make it 40. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's essentially what you've done there. But it's a good, it's a good question. But it's a different type of player, sure. So the, so the back so yeah. so the Champions League, that's why for me, I would still struggle to bet against Ferguson because he was bossing Champions League games. Like, I wait by Leverkusen and stuff. So that's why yeah. Ferguson's probably still ahead of him for me and I'll struggle to ever say him ahead of Ferguson just because I love him. But <laughs> I... There's no, there's no many for me since then that I could put ahead of him. Not many at all. 
Well, enjoying Robbie's um, very creepy Valentine's video there to um, to Barry Ferguson, which uh, which, which I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we can edit out at some point. Right? Um, we'll not be out. No danger. We'll be editing that. Out. No, that's, that's, <laughs> his, that's, his date, that's his dating profile video. Um, but no, it's a, it's a good point. And then you do talk about the fact that that's why people like maybe Gascon Loudrop, um, lots of these players, you legitimately see. If you're doing a comparison, you need to get tough about it and say, well, they were part of teams that, by and large, failed in Europe. Underperforming. Example, I'm saying Arteta. Again, love this guy, but like Michael Moles, right? Michael Moles, pre-injury, looked like he was going to be world-class, but right. Stephen Davis, far better career at Rangers. I don't think that could be the... But you will get some people who will argue that, which I totally disagree with. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And that's why these questions are always dead fun. But I'm, I'm taking the fun out of it by saying there has to be a categorization and they frame the question correctly, right? I'm obviously amazing at patterns. But, you know, organised indoor fun. But um, th that's the whole point. So you start, that's what I'm saying. Gaza, uh, Loudrop and all that kind of stuff. Um, as much as I, I like them, McCoyst, Hately. Well, no, I take McCoyst and Hately out of it, right? But Gaza and, and Loudrop and all that kind of stuff. By and large, European teams that completely failed. Aye. But you know, it's a tough thing to say, and nobody likes to say it, particularly about players like that. But then you look at people who Stephen Davis, not a glamorous player. He's not glamorous, right? Stephen Davis' name has never been glamorous to that extent. He's not a Gaza or a Loudrop, but legitimately, you would have to put him higher up the list because he's done it twice and he's done it in the CL and he's had really good performances all within that. And if you extrapolate it out career-wise, he's played in the EPL for a large chunk of that and not been out of place, quite the opposite. Most capped British player as well, I believe. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So nobody's been, I don't think anybody would argue with the Stephen Davis. It's just a, it's an interesting how you work that out and then you come out with, your, let's say, your top five players in right. that 20, 25 year period or whatever. Um, and how many keepers would you have in there? I know it's boys. It's bad, isn't it? Uh, so, I think one thing we, we, we all largely agree on is that these big games require big players at, at big moments. Special mention, I think, from from the game at the weekend has to go to guys like Scott Arfield and Nathan Patterson. Arfield coming in after looking a wee bit shaky, I felt, after his injury layoff, but again played well at the weekend. Nathan Patterson continues to look like being a right back of the future. Um when that future is going to be, I think it's probably up for a, a different pod, to be perfectly honest with you. But again, was excellent at the weekend, driving forward like never before, looking really, really sharp. Um, and Tommy, Alan McGregor just loves saving penalties against this mob, doesn't he? I, I just think he... Well, I mean, it's just lucky dip, left, right, down the middle, <laughs> uh, to, 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 to quote him. You know, there's, there's nothing in it. But yeah, listen, he's a, he's a top goalkeeper. He's world-class. People like Stephen Gerrard refer to him as world-class for a reason. You know, it's yeah. not empty. It's not empty um, empty words uh, or just, you know, trying to inflate his ego. He's world, he is world-class. He's putting in save after save after save. And he's, he does it in a kind of nonchalant way, but you know fine well having, having his reputation stripped back a little bit, you know, when he used to be a party boy and it was all field stuff. Now people get a better sense of Alan McGregor, the professional. And they know fine well that he can he can afford to be. I'm sure he puts a little bit of it on right for the cameras, not in his interviews. But he can afford to be like that because everybody probably understands by this point in time the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes from him personally and the yeah. sacrifices to be playing at the highest level, to be the drive one of the driving forces in the in the dressing room, to winning 55, to getting a chance. And we sometimes maybe forget. I think we do this as football fans, all of us. We do sometimes look at the players and we go, "Oh, it's amazing that you know." They're giving us all this performance and all that. I think for guys like Stephen Davis and Alan McGregor, this is the stuff of dreams. Playing for a club like Rangers at this stage of their careers. Yeah. Going down starting berths, playing in Europe, winning a title, playing under Stephen Gerrard. They should be thanking the lucky stars as well. But ultimately, they have not let us down in any way, shape or form. And, you know, they've been the driving forces in the dressing room. They've kept delivering. You asked me about Alan McGregor. He's put himself right in there from for the greatest ever. Rangers goalkeeper conversation. Right? Oh, just just, just the conversation. I thought you were oh. I thought you were stopping short there. He's saying he was. 
Uh, no, I've come for the cross. I've went back. What <laughs> 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 went over me? Right. <laughs> Sorry, those ones. But listen, I, I probably have to because I've, I've taken a hell of a lot of heat over this, right? And I know somewhere Jim Stewart is sitting, <laughs> leaning towards the camera, going, "I told you, Tommy. I absolutely told you." Right? <laughs> but I, I will still say, for an individual goalkeeping season, nobody, nobody will be Andy Gordon ninety-two, ninety-three. <laughs> when when he when he was I mean he, he was outstanding that year. There's no two ways about it. I mean he just, really was just incredible. just incredible. Where I think McGregor has really come up uh, and put himself into that. Could you put a sliver of paper between them? And I'm not entirely sure that I could anymore. If I was being brutally honest, right? Although individual season, it will always be Gordon ninety two and eight, right? Superstar. But Alan McGregor being able to do it over both periods and going to be the Premiership. There's no doubting. I know Gordon spent his career. At Rangers, right? So it's a little bit unfair, but he didn't have the longevity. And you know, once he'd left Rangers, his performances went off a cliff. Right? That was pretty much it. He was, he was done anyway. Right? And there's some injury stuff to that as well. He's not been as lucky as Alan McGregor when it came to knees, but he probably didn't take as care of himself as Alan McGregor did as well. I don't think Andy Gordon would argue with that last point, right? But I was worried we could joke there, but I'll, I'll, I'll move back from that one. Right? But, um, Don't yeah, go there, Thomas. Don't no, go there. Yeah, I'll stay, I'll stay away from that one. But, and that's where I think McGregor really comes up to. He's, he's got the individual performances, but he's also been able to do it over you know, both periods, and he is outstanding, and his importance to the team this season cannot be overstated, both in the on-pitch scenario and the off-pitch scenario, helping to drive those standards that we keep banging on about and talking about. And I'm reminded of um, Stephen Gerrard, I think it was one of the very first videos that came out about him. And you see him on the training ground when they're tapping it about in training and he's straight onto the pitch. None of this, oh, walking about again. You go in full time, you go in, you go in. You know, standards, don't forget it, don't do it again type of thing. Yeah. You get the feeling that guys like McGregor and Davis, they're the embodiment of that type of thing. And Aye, there, there you go. You didn't ask me about uh, about any of that. You asked me about Nathan Barlson, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring myself back to that. Well, I did ask you about McGregor, but I did say that Patterson was was particularly impressive at the weekend as well. So I'm happy for it. You go there. I thought it was excellent as well. See, you have to, in this game, Robbie, you need to remember both things, mate. You need, you need to concentrate. I was mesmerised by the, the path you were taking us on there. <laughs> See, I've, I've started, I've rolled it out from the back to the right the, the right back, and then I'm going to take it forward. So, yeah, Patterson was fantastic, and he was really unlucky. I really thought he was going to do a tab when he cut inside uh, Laxalt and he smashed yeah. it inside the end. Should have probably cut it across, right? But young boy, 19, um, absolutely didn't look out of place. Even physique-wise and stuff, like that, we spoke about that, and I think Stephen Gerrard referenced after the game. They're still working on him with the body and making sure that he's fit. He's got it all, uh, and he's certainly putting himself in that Euro conversation as well. The only thing I would say is we just need to be careful in that he's a young player. By definition, at some point, he's going to have a dip, mm-hmm. and that's when the support yeah. and the management team, and I'm no thing well, the management team will be looking at that. That's when they need to maybe pull him out of the spotlight because we've seen players come in and have good performances for a while at a young age and then they maybe get slightly mishandled. I know Stephen Gerrard was very, very critical of the uh, handling of Ross McCrory, for example, um, previously before he took before he took up the mantle in terms yeah. of playing centre-back and hanging him out to dry. I sense that won't happen, but Nathan Balson's not put a, a foot on the pitch wrong and he's learned from his off-field stuff as well. If he, if he sticks and keeps his feet in the ground, yeah, he is, the, he is the, the, the going right back. And I suppose James Tavenier sitting and going, Christ, I better, better hope that I don't get any other injury uh, problems because it's a tough question for... Um, well, it's not a tough question. I still think Stephen Gerrard would go with James Tavenier as the starting right back. Right? He's the club captain and he's, it's not as if he's not a good performer. But Nathan Patterson is giving the safety and security from a succession point of view. There you go, Robbie. Just drop time for you. A succession perspective. And that he can take up that position. And, well, do you know what? I've not said it yet. What a saving he is for the business model. <laughs> you know, oh, yes. And a bingo. Ding. There we go. <laughs> and I, my work here is done. <laughs> Robbie, I, I want to come to you next. We've obviously went um, unbeaten in five matches against Celtic. Uh, the last time we went six games unbeaten, remarkably, was 2002. Now, there's one game against them to come, obviously, um, before the end of the season. Again, it's a home tie. 
um, at Ibrox. I just wonder the the mental effect it would have on Rangers on a season that they've got the 55th league championship going unbeaten um, against their great rivals on a season when they were going for all the things that, that they thought they were going to get this year. I think it would just top off the season for us, wouldn't it? I, I wouldn't put it past us anyway, for sure, because uh, I think the fact that, as we spoke about it before, we've got the Scottish Cup. Now, we, we need to be on our toes. The habits need to be maintained, so I don't see that changing too much in the league. We obviously speak about squad rotation and stuff. I know for a fact when it comes to that old firm tie that that's not going to be the case. So, we'd obviously spoke, uh, I think, after the league was confirmed, like, oh, what's our thoughts on an unbeaten season? I generally wasn't too bothered. I don't think Tommy was either, and same with yourself. It, it was more than nice to have, but yeah. we are getting closer to that stage. So, listen, it, it'd be an unbelievable achievement. I think it'd just be, it'd almost be better for the players, in my opinion, than the fans. We've got what we wanted. We've got the league. Now we obviously want the Scottish Cup. See if the players can then say they were part of a squad who went unbeaten in an old firm season, given that the last few years we've had a bit of a tough time in that fixture. And then also to put on top of that, you know, we won the league for the first time in uh, nine years. We won the Scottish Cup and we've done so without losing a single game. Never did. Well, after Celtic had done it, how many people are saying, oh, you'll never see that again, a team go through a season unbeaten? Yeah. Certainly wouldn't have predicted probably that it had been a Rangers team to do it next, if I've been totally honest at that time, yeah. how, far at, how far behind we were. And then to say that we'd have done it in such a short space of time, uh, it would really, you know, be a huge credit to the players, the management, and I think the board as well for how they've been able to really resurrect the club in such a short space of time. Tommy, it would be a huge deal, would it not, to to go this season um, unbeaten against that show? It is, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Start the season now, big rivals. They were also the champions. We are the champions. We're the champions and the best team in the league. Yeah, well, well exactly. And <laughs> seemingly you can you can be not the champions but still be the best team in the league. I've not got not got so confusing. Yeah, I've not got myself around the permutations of that yet. But absolutely, you're right. They're the big they're the big rivals, and they were the champions to then go and make a statement of that in terms of, and I think the statement's already been made, right? But if you can get over the line and finish the season invincible and finish against, you know, not not being beaten by them, it kind of puts further capstones on I keep banging on about narratives and all that kind of every other every other week, which is, you know, Celtic didn't lose anything. Rangers won it. Rangers reached out and took away forget everything else, what they had built to, what they believed they were entitled to and what everything in their club was geared up to. I mean, they believed that they had 10 titles in a row. They thought it was their just due, and they were celebrating already. This was the final capstone of everything, all the strategies, all those plans. And then Rangers came along and went, actually, we've managed to put this together in three years, by the way. Uh, no, it's not going to be like that. And then inside that, you can then point to, it was a 20-point gap for a reason. This wasn't Celtic just getting fatigued and not performing against other clubs. Actually, he came up against us four times in the league. Right? Put the put the cup game on one side. Came up against us four times league, and you weren't able to see us off the premises either. So you've lost the individual battles. You've then lost the league war. And that's why you're sitting talking about new chief executives and new managers, because you need to change. And we're sitting seeing how much Brasso we can buy on Amazon. <laughs> because that's what, that's what we need. You know, these are the defining moments. Yeah. And, you know, old firm games are still, they are the defining moments of any league season. And then you look at what they meant, and we circle back to January game. January game was the stake in the ground for me. Everything round about it, all the history of us kind of imploding post-Christmas and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Them coming, playing well, you know, I think that, uh, people maybe think they had a lot more chances than they did, but playing really well and walking away with nothing, that deflation just absolutely killed them, took them out of the knees. So, yeah, being able to walk away and say, we've, we've seen you off in every single week game of the season, or rather you've not been able to beat us, that's a big, big statement and carries forward that momentum that Robbie's quite rightly referenced there, which is we don't let up. And that was nice to see, actually, just to bookend that answer. 
it was nice to see given performances of late haven't been amazing in any game by and large. Um, particularly, and I think Stephen Gerrard referenced this and it's only human, right? Um, and alcohol takes a while to get out of the system, uh, to, to be honest with you, right? Um, even when it's top shelf champagne. But to know that we've got the gears there to say, okay, the chips are down. I remember even last season, the season before, people were talking about this, even actually the League Cup this season, this Rangers team still need to answer questions about can they turn up when it means something? Well, there you go. You've won your title and then could have slacked off with an old firm game where they were really up for it. Saw them off the premises with a relatively easy performance. That's those standards that need to be maintained. Now just go on and win the cup. I think it's an important point you made about the fact that prior to the game, admittedly, we weren't playing great and it, and it was a challenge. It was a, 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 That's why I think this weekend was so important uh, and so pleasing because it was a totally different challenge. So... Obviously, it's stating the obvious, but a league campaign, a cup campaign, it's, it's two totally different things. So the fact that we had that wrapped up, we weren't playing so great. And in my personal opinion, again, losing staunch points, but I, I do think John Kennedy's made them better. I, yeah. I think they look better against us. And I thought, you know, having, I know it's only highlights, but I've watched a couple of previous highlights. They definitely looked a better side. So the fact that, again, I agree with Tommy in the sense that as much as I thought, they played well, they looked better, they had chances. I don't know, I just still felt it was only the first half. after Because I thought before the first goal, I thought we were probably the better team. I thought we were edging it a bit. Then up until the second, I definitely think they were the better side. They, they were creating more chances, probably had more of the ball. But there was something about me that still just thought, we could still go on our gear here. And then it was as like we felt, right, we need to score now. So then we went out and scored. And then after that, I always think that it's a very sort of false impression when people talk about, see, see if you're losing 2-0 and you're then the better team in the second half, that's because the team that's winning 2-0 are, are allowing you to be the, be the better team almost. Yeah. So you think back to the game at Parkhead, 1-2-0. We, we, we'd won the game in the first half, but see when you looked at the stats after the game, everybody was probably quite surprised at the fact that I think Celtic had more possession. Uh, they, they never had shots on target, okay, but... I think the more of the game was in our half and they had more possession and we didn't have loads of chances. But we'd already won a game. You can you can control a game without having a lot of the ball or creating a lot of chances yourself. And I felt as though in the sort of important moments of that game, even though they had a wee bit of joy, I still felt as though we were in control. And that's something that being able to control big games. So we've, I think we've played well in big games previously in the last sort of three, four year, but I very really think we've had control of big games and mm. that this season is hundred percent been the sort of definitive, sort of defining factor as to how we've improved as much. Yeah. I think I, I think there'll be many moments um in this season when we when we look back and you'll remember where you saw that or where you were when you heard that. And I have to say from a personal perspective, kudos to the the people that were in the stadium doing the match announcement at the weekend because whoever was sitting up there clearly had a Premier Sports monitor on on his left-hand side because when Gordon Strachan started to speak, he fired on mental as anything and the timing was absolutely perfect and that is what it's all about when you're winning your 55th League Championship. We have a double header this week to, to look forward to against St Johnston, of course, in the, in the league as part of our last um, five games. I've got three to go after this game, of course. We travel to Perth on Wednesday night. Robbie, maybe an opportunity to to maybe use more of the squad and, and, and give some guys some, some game time. I'm looking at guys like Etienne, Roof, I suspect, will start. Guys like John McLaughlin, maybe Liam Balligan as well. Scott Wright. Scott Wright, absolutely. He's the sort of man that I think people would like to see play. Uh, just to think off the top of my head on that, but is part, is, when does Parsons van kick in? Don't know yet. We don't know yet still, so... Nah. Yeah. I, I, Scott Wright for me is the one that I would actually start so along with that I think you, you could make a case for, for Ruth but then you've got Hadji as well so totally. yeah. for me Hadji's probably more deserving a start than Ruth and I like the two of them but for me it's probably more deserving uh, and I think as well I still think Gerard's still got that element to him where we'll make four max five but I don't think it'll be an unrecognisable team for sure because we are, we are kind of, as much as we're saying we weren't too bored about undefeated thing, I think we are very close now. 
that you might know. I don't think it would risk it. becomes it. more of a thing. A, a little bit, and I think that I, I actually think the reason for that as well is what Thomas spoke about earlier about almost kind of managing players poorly. I always think it's unfair to make 11 changes in a game, especially in a midweek tough tie against a, a side who've, who've won a domestic trophy so far this year. I think if you were to go out and make nine changes, that's actually a wee bit unfair on the team that's coming in because if you're a Scott Wright who's wanting something to prove, you want to be playing in amongst guys who are also in their top form. Yeah. So yeah. I think that he'll make a few, but don't worry, Tommy, I don't think Zungu will start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, the sum of all my fears. <laughs> and they recall Brandon Barker. Listen, I think we're always absolutely spot on. I totally agree with the point about yeah, being really unfair and um, actually negative. Not negative, that's maybe the strong, a strong word, but it's counterproductive, counterintuitive yeah. to make wholesale changes because you're asking those players to slot in seamlessly and then perform as a group as well. And actually, psycho- um, the psychology behind that would be quite difficult because those players are trying to engineer themselves a jersey for the regular team. Yeah. And so you lose a bit of cohesion because they're all trying to be individuals to a certain extent. Although I sense that that's not maybe a massive problem with this particular group. But yeah, right, maybe an Itton coming in could do with the game time. I suppose the, the question inside it is, will Steven Gerrard, I mean, he obviously wants to continue the unbeaten run, goes without saying, but will he want to try something different um, setup-wise and personnel-wise? to give St Johnston a bit of a headache in terms of trying to second-guess us for the cup game. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, know, I don't know about yourself, Scott, but you're saying Balogun, but if you're Gerard, are you playing Balogun or are you playing Jack Simpson? I, I think you play Balogun. Yeah. To be honest, I, I think if the if there's the opportunity to give him some game time, um, I think he'll do it. And I think if, if you're going to see him in... Either of the two games, I think it'll be the, the the game at Perth on Wednesday. I don't think you'll see him in the in the cup tie, but I certainly think there's a good chance you'll see him at Perth on Wednesday night. Yeah. I don't think you'll see Jack Simpson this season. No, not I. Possibly not. Not no. do I. Maybe got a swan song against Aberdeen in the last game of the season, but um I, I wouldn't expect to see him much at all. No, I don't think I don't, don't think Stephen Gerald would want to tinker with that back wing, other than what he usually does, which is a Balligan Hellander type of scenario. Yeah. Although I sense Balogun's getting slightly further and further into the second string position of that. But what I don't I do, think going to think about that. What I do think about Simpson, and if you remember, Gordon Smith actually spoke to us, us about this when he was on. Um, Simpson of the of both Balogun and, and Simpson. Simpson is the sort of ball-playing left footer, if you like. So he's comfortable bringing the ball out on his left-hand side. So if he was playing, I think everyone largely expects Goldson to be the mainstay from now until whenever. Here's something they signed a new contract for what's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Simpson was to, to play, he would sit in probably quite nicely a goal against um Goldson on the on the inside of his of his right side. Tommy, I want to come to you just lastly, we're we're, we're pushing it for time um this week. I want to ask you about the the importance of the Scottish Cup now and and how Stephen Gerrard will, will value further progression into the semis after Sunday. Huge, massively. Uh, I would I'd be surprised if it's not top of his agenda. Um, so, given that quick answer, league invincible invincibility really, really important now, and it's a great thing because we're getting closer to it and it's tangible. Not as important as doing a domestic double and getting the last trophy of the season in the pot as well, because that's you cycling off that you've seen the champions off the premises, you've put them out in the last cup of the season, you go on to win the double, you start as double champions. That's building something. That's what it's all about, the silverware, full stop. Robbie, a, a wee trip to, to Hamden uh, sometime in May would be quite a, a pleasant way to, to round off a, a superbly successful season for Stephen Gerrard. The perfect way, and as we spoke about that last week, it's got to be the expectation because, as we spoke about, that this club's got to demand success and it doesn't just, obviously we're totally delighted with the fact we've won the league, but I don't think that means that we should accept not going on to win the Scottish Cup. That is the expectation we carry. And if we really want to cement ourselves as being the best and the biggest club in Scotland again, then you do that by winning trophies. So here's hoping that happens in, in May. So I think before I let you guys head off uh, for another week, uh, we, we have to 
uh, wish good luck to to the women's team. They travel to Celtic Park for the for the Celtic Rangers uh, Old Firm women's tie on Wednesday night. We should say that uh, we were lucky enough to be offered uh, some of Brianna Westrup, the the team captain's time last Thursday for the women's pod. She took a real sore one at the weekend. However, we're assured she is okay. Um, the the footage of it looked pretty sore, and the stills of that we've seen since then. Um, will make each of us wins, I should say, as well. If you haven't had the chance to check out Lizzie Arnott's winner against Hibs at the weekend, I suggest you do that. Cracking effort. Very good effort indeed. So good luck to the ladies on, on Wednesday night. We, we wish you well. And indeed, we'll be back with another women's pod the week after next. So we look forward to that. Um, guys, really enjoyed your time, Tommy. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on. The, the response to the um, Super League question was absolutely excellent. I, I appreciate you going into that depth. Thanks very much. No, no problem at all. I'm... Uh... Always delighted to talk about these things, Scott, you know that. Uh, and Robbie, we'll, we'll do it all again next week, hopefully speaking about a win against St Johnston in the league and then hopefully um, we'll be talking about a semi-final tie for the Scottish Cup. I'm waiting for my special thanks for any content I provided. And, and thanks for <laughs> everything, everything you provided. You, Tommy, you need to go away and think about that Stephen Davis question. <laughs> thanks, thanks to Robbie for making sure he had money in the meter this week. <laughs> <laughs> So that'll do us for this week. We should say as well, keep an eye on our social media channels for the big news that we're going to have on giving away the Champions Top. We look forward to releasing some news on that in the coming days as it can be weeks because we're getting closer to the end of the season. So we look forward to releasing some more information on that. My name's Scott Batterson. We will do it all again next week. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. This is Ibrox, your Rangers podcast, brought to you by Triple H Mortgages, the one-stop shop for all your mortgage and mortgage insurance needs. Contact them on 01453887179 or via email hello at hhhmortgages.com. Fire's raging, I'm shaking, you want to go out, I want to stay in